Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Chris Beyer, as always, with my talented, my lovely and talented wow. co-host, Jim Martin. All right. Welcome, fans. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I'm thrown. I don't even know what to say. I forget what I say normally. We did another podcast prior to this. Yep. And uh, one of our guests mentioned your hair and your hair is looking good tonight. Thank you. I haven't gotten a haircut since. Uh, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mitch is showing us his haircut too. We'll, we'll, we'll bring him on in a minute, but uh, um, yeah, uh, I haven't gotten a haircut since um, I think like January of 2020. Cause like in March I shaved my head and then it took about, you know, six months to grow back. <laughs> I don't know, some time to grow back. And then I decided like, I, you know, nobody was going to see me. So Harper started giving me haircuts and to make a long story even longer, Harper's getting pretty good at it. Maybe it has less to do with, how good it looks and more to do with how disheveled you look throughout the whole pandemic. That could be, that definitely yeah. could be it. Yeah. You really look like hell for most <laughs> right. of the pandemic. Right. right. It looks like you've really pulled out of it. Is that, you think that's yeah. what you were saying before? It looks like you're really, you're really coming around. That's good to see. Yeah. It wasn't easy being on these zoom calls with you over the last year. And no, um, no. So anyway, I just want to, I want to refer to something that happened and Jim will know what I'm talking about here because sometimes we talk about, our downloads that we get from countries around the world. And I want to start with a very sincere apology because a couple of weeks ago when we were doing a podcast, uh, actually a couple of months ago, because it was broadcast, I referred to some of the countries that are downloading a podcast. And I referred to Taiwan as a country. Ni hao from the bait and switch podcast. I am Han 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 Bao Chen for making a mistake by calling Taiwan a country when I know that it's, it's just a breakaway Republic and it's soon to be reunited with the homeland. So I don't want to offend any of our listeners on the mainland uh, of China. So again, Han 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 Bao Chen. I want to apologize to our Uber friends there when I called <laughs> upper Michigan part of the Wisconsin area. Now that yeah. was another controversial thing. Didn't like that, you know. Now I talked about China here. We're talking a little politics here. Our guest tonight is... Now a six-timer, seven-timer on our podcast. His name is Mitch Tyke. Mitch Tyke is the former co-host of the Lake Effect program, which is on Wisconsin Public Radio, which is part of the National Public Radio offerings. And he has since moved on to a different NPR station in upstate New York. Mitch joins us all the way from the North Country. Welcome, Mitch. Hey, thanks again for having me. It is a thrill to be with you as uh, as always. You know, th- yeah, you just keep racking up the appearances here. We just uh, like tonight, we just got done uh, with the Tour de France podcast, which was your sixth appearance. And this is now your seventh appearance. Now, I know for our listeners, Tour de France was probably a couple months ago once this finally comes out. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, seven timer. I get a free sub when I get to like 10, right? Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. 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 <laughs> With purchase. <laughs> don't don't pin your hopes on that, Mitch. So, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> now, in the past, we always kind of joked around with Mitch here, but I want to get a little bit more serious. Maybe our listeners might be interested in this topic. 
Mitch, as I mentioned before, has worked for NPR or Wisconsin Public Radio and now I think North Country Public Radio in uh, New York, but it's been under the NPR umbrella that's National Public Radio. Now, certain media institutions tend to be lumped into certain baskets. Uh, for example, AM talk radio is typically viewed to be very conservative uh, throughout the nation. And then perhaps a cable network like MSNBC is generally viewed as very liberal. Now, NPR generally tends to get lumped in that category of liberal or left or democratic. And I'm just curious, Mitch, why do you think that might be? Is it accurate? Is it inaccurate? Uh, well, I, I would say, and, and thanks for asking that question. Um, it, it certainly, you're not the first person that has uh, has mentioned that. It's a it's a reputation that has been around for a long time, and you know, I think in part it has to do with where NPR was in its early days. It was really kind of, um, I don't want to say it was experimental, but it was very different than all other forms of kind of daily national media when it uh, when it started and um, maybe by virtue of the kinds of topics it covered versus what other media outlets covered it got the reputation for uh, for being liberal and certainly paying attention to um, liberal type causes I think there's a, a great case to be made that um, it is about as middle of the road as a media organization can be today um, and that maybe says a lot about where we are in our media environment that um, the fact that uh, NPR goes to kind of great lengths to hear out both sides and kind of um, allow people to talk in complete sentences um, puts us in some people's eyes further on the liberal side of the spectrum. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think if you were to, uh, to, to take inventory of the kinds of stories we cover versus the kinds of stories other news organizations cover um, from all sides of the political spectrum, I would say that the kinds of story selection are pretty similar. It's when it comes to things like um, talk and opinion that, uh, you know, your Fox News is on one side, your MSNBC is on the other side. NPR doesn't really do opinion shows in the same way. We don't have single personalities that drive conversations. We have, um, we have call-in shows, we have talk shows, um, but they always kind of put the, the interview guest first and the, the person doing the interview second. And um, so, you know, there, there are certainly some hosts that when I listen to them, I, I, I feel like I'm listening to someone who's more liberal and some hosts, when I listen to them, I feel like I'm listening to someone who's more conservative. But um, I think by and large, the product that goes on the air across the network is, uh, is, uh, is pretty unbiased and pretty non-opinionated. Um, you know, I, I will also say to continue this monologue somewhat that uh, don't forget when we talk about national public radio, we're talking about um, a network and the, the member stations such as ours on the sta I'm the station manager of North Country Public Radio. We're managed independently. So um, when we carry a program from national public radio, it's because um, we are a member of national public radio. We, we choose to air the particular programs that we do at a particular time, uh, but we are also uh, members of a number of other um, 
what people think of as uh, syndication services, but they're really just um, uh, they're distributors of programming. So American Public Media, um, WNYC in New York uh, distributes programs, um, public radio, the public radio exchange, what's called PRX is a distributor. And those programs are all picked up by us uh, in an a la carte way. Um, but the the individual distributors are responsible for the content um, that you hear on those shows. Interesting. Yeah, there's so much more that goes into that than I had any idea of. I mean, so so like <laughs> after you, after you talk about all that, I feel like okay. So what do you what do you at your station? What kind of what kind of things do you do? I forget how much I've talked about where the North Country is um, since I've been out here. I, I've joined you once to, to kind of talk about my new job. But, you know, the North Country is this vast region of northern New York. It's the, the part of New York people forget is actually, you know, part of New York, let alone part of the United States. Uh, we're the northern third of the state, but we're by far the least populated part of the state of New York. Um, and where I live in Potsdam, where I'm coming to you, from. Um, I'm far closer to Montreal and Ottawa than I am to New York City. I'm even closer to Montreal and Ottawa than I am to Syracuse, which tells you just how far north we are up here. Um, And so um, one of the big challenges for us is being able to, to do stories that are relevant to people that live in this vast area. I mean, we've got the Adirondacks, we have the St. Lawrence Valley, we have Lake Champlain. Um, and so um, we have this incredibly important role to play because there are no other media organizations that cover the entire region. There are two public TV stations, but they you know, cover their own parts of the region. There's a newspaper in Watertown, which is, you know, about an hour and a half south of here. And, you know, they report on some parts of the North Country this far north, but not on into the Adirondacks and not over towards Lake Champlain. So, you know, we can't afford to be biased on one side or another because there, there frankly just aren't enough people to go around. Um, we really do a little bit of everything and we can, we, we really strive to do right by people, um, you know, regardless of their age, regardless of their, you know, political leanings or their other demographics, we have to be their voice. Um, so, you know, we do two really important things, and that's tell the story of the North Country to the people of the North Country. And the other is telling the story of the North Country to the people in the rest of the country. One thing you said, which I was just struggling with just a minute ago, which is you tend not to interrupt their guests. I was struggling. <laughs> Maybe I grew up on other types of radio. I have listened to NPR throughout the years off and on. And that is one thing where I'm amazed at how often they let their guests get out their full ideas. And sometimes it drives me nuts. I, I am I am on the other side of the radio saying, please interrupt this person uh, because they'll let this go on forever. There, there is an art to doing an interview in which there are respectful interruptions, uh, because what we have to do is we really have to heighten reality. I mean, we, we have to have something of a story arc, and we have to fit it into the amount of time that we are given. All and right, so, I want to move on here, Mitch. So anyway. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, you, know, uh, you know, Mitch, I was, uh, real quick, I was just going to say, that's why you guys don't do comedy, because comedy is all about timing. And by the time you let your guests ramble on for whatever they're going to say, like, well, let's 
go back to that. I had a really funny point back there. Right, the punchline is long gone. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to get back again to uh, again how uh, NPR is viewed from a national perspective. Do you think from the uh, stations that you've worked at in NPR, is it perhaps that NPR the talent attracted to it is more left leaning? Um, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I would say. Um, let me qualify this by saying that in all the years that I've worked for public radio, I've been in the position to hire a lot of people. You know, I was the, the executive producer and co-host of, uh, of Lake Effect at Milwaukee Public Radio. I'm the station manager here. I was the news director at Arizona Public Radio and Flagstaff. So I've done a lot of hiring. Never once have I been in a situation where I've either asked or sought out the, the political leanings of the people that we, uh, we've hired. Um, are there people that are on the left side of the political spectrum that have worked in that, that I see working in public radio? Um, there are, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there are, um, but I think there are also plenty of people who are much closer to center or even leaning right than, um, than people might otherwise guess. Um, when I was host at Lake Effects, we had Charlie Sykes on our show numerous times, and he was a thought-provoking guest. He was a he was a thoughtful person, and I think he enjoyed coming on the show because it was exactly what we were talking about, a chance to have a conversation and flesh out the kinds of ideas that, that you know, people were interested in, um, and, you know, and a chance to, to kind of share your ideas without being shouted down by your other guests. <laughs> and, and just kind of one more question along those lines. You know, some people, again, generally on the right, say we want to cut funding for National Public Radio because they feel that their voice is not as heard on, on your channels. What percentage of local funding comes from national funding and how much do the fund drives raise for you guys? So uh, it differs at every public radio station. Um, there's a formula for how much money the, uh, the stations get. It is a formula that even after two years as station manager here, I could not begin to explain to you uh, because it is that complicated. But um, our national funding comes from a quasi-governmental organization called the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So there's not a single line item. If you were to, to, to look at your, you know, what your average tax dollar goes to, there's not one line that says National Public Radio. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting figures out, you know, we've gotten this much funding from the federal government, and this is what goes to fund NPR member stations. This is what goes to fund um, NPR programming. This is what goes to fund PBS. And this is what goes to fund other things like uh, the reading service for the blind and so forth. Um, we get, uh, if I had to, uh, to tell you exactly what percentage of our money comes from uh, federal funding sources, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 10%. Um, so does it make a difference to us? It absolutely does. And when people talk about the funding that the Corporation for Public Broadcasting or the, the federal government gives to public media, it's significant, but it's significant that it goes to local public radio stations that employ local people like me and like the people who work at uh, WUWM in Milwaukee, and it supports their ability to provide 
critical programming, especially, you know, I think there's been no time that's really shown our metal like the last, uh, you know, year and a half when um, public media outlets were really relied on, especially in rural places like ours, to be able to, uh, to share critical information. It's not a stretch to say that if we weren't doing it, there wouldn't be anybody else that is able to do it the way that, uh, that we have. So um, I think for people who are concerned that their tax dollars are going to support, you know, liberal talkers out there, um, I would like to, to put their minds at ease and say, um, you know, what you're supporting when we talk about the amount that goes to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, you're supporting local news, you're supporting the ability of local public radio stations and local public TV stations, doing things like remote education at a time when, you know, lots of schools were closed. There were public TV stations up here that were filling in and serving an educational purpose and making it possible for, you know, school districts to supplement the education that the public school districts are doing. So would it be great if we were able to support ourselves um, without the assistance of uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting? It would be terrific. But when you live in a part of the country where there's a great deal of rural poverty like ours, um, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting plays an amazingly important role in our ability to do the kinds of things that, uh, that you know, are part of our mission. So you have these fundraisers, Mitch. Yeah, your, yeah, we what, do. Yeah, what's what's your uh, what's your cut on that? What do you get? You know, what do you... Lot, lots of hats. We we yeah. tell people to make their checks out to Mitch Tyke, the know, Mitch Tyke Ferrari Maintenance Fund. Right, right. <laughs> There's got. I mean, how else are you gonna get your Ferrari fixed? I have to pay my valet. Well, yeah, somebody does, right? I mean, the guys. Otherwise, the guy's gonna be out of work. And we get another unemployed guy. Um, so, Chris, it dawned on me that we do a lot of public stuff. Maybe we could talk to somebody at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I mean, we're public. We're not funded. We're, you know, we're pretty, uh, I think we're pretty middle of the road. We're essentially a utility. I think so. <laughs> I think you're right. I think everybody should chip in, right? Isn't that yep. what you're saying? I mean, it's available to everyone. It should yep. be, uh, yeah, sure, sure. I think the one thing I think about when I think about NPR is that um, there's a lot more uh programming that i i think is dealing towards the arts and i think the arts is traditionally more left-leaning and i'm wondering if maybe that uh has something to do with the perception also i don't know that the art we we could get into a whole philosophical discussion about whether the arts themselves are left-leaning or whether you know the the people's value of the arts, you know, you find more people who are on the liberal side of the spectrum who find uh, a particular value in particular kinds of art. Um, yep. You know, at the same time, you know, the, the Koch brothers were enormous supporters of the Metropolitan Opera, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, there are people on, on all sides of the political coin that support all sorts of arts. But yeah, you know, I think the, the stereotype is out there that the NPR our supporters are the ones who love ballet and the Fox supporters are the ones who love NASCAR. And I think that the truth is that um, people would be really surprised to find out that there are a lot of public radio listeners who enjoy turning on, you know, NASCAR or um, televised golf on the weekend or whatever. And there are probably a fair number of uh, conservatives out there who really, you know, they take their they take their daughters to ballet class the same way, you know, some people take their kids to soccer practice or whatever. So 
How about your demographic? I, I'm going to guess that it might skew female. Is that possible? You know, our demographics are almost, uh, it's tough for us to measure right now, partly because um, we broadcast to such small towns and rural areas that we are mostly in unmeasured markets. So when people talk about the Nielsen ratings, the ratings as we know them really take place in larger communities. So I say everything that follows with a with a grain of salt that we don't have a lot of demographics, but public radio is surprisingly about 50-50 male versus female. It does skew older. Um, you know, that's one of the big challenges that we have right now in this industry is trying to stay relevant to, to younger listeners. Um, the, the thing about it is, 35-year-olds today, or so I'm told, it's been a while since I've been 35, have different interests than when you and I were 35. So, you know, we kind of need to keep our eyes on what the interests of younger demographics are. But Chris, to get back to your question, uh, we're about 50-50 when it comes to, to male versus female. We do skew a bit older. The thing that really defines uh, public radio listeners you know, our income brackets tend to be a little higher than uh, other forms of media, but not as much as it used to be. Um, income or not income, I'm sorry, education level is really one of the uh, one of the things that defines public radio listeners. So um, regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of income group, people with uh, who've attained higher education degrees, you know, whether it's a bachelor's degree or graduate degrees, tend to skew towards public radio. But we have to keep growing, um, just like every other form of media. We have to look for our audience where they are. We can't just, you know, wait for them all to get PhDs. So, um, you know, we, we, we try to provide programming that doesn't insult people's intelligence um, and rewards people for being curious. Well, Mitch, uh, again, you're part of our seven timers club here. This is your <laughs> this is your fourth tour de France one, right? Fourth yeah, tour. Yeah, my France gosh, yes, it has. Yeah, yeah he did and, all four, uh, right? I mean, he's yep. been a part of all of them. Yep. In fact, uh, as we mentioned in one of our podcasts, you were the inspiration for the Tour de France podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had you on, and we found out that you and I shared this passion for following the tour, and I thought. Hey, we got we can have Mitch on again. We can get Mitch on for the tour, and we've made it a tradition every year after that. I, I have to say, I'm super flattered that you've had me back every year for that, and uh, and I'm not just uh, not just buttering you up. I think you're doing uh, you're really doing some good work here. And you know, the thing about podcasting right now that really appeals to me is it it feels a lot like why a lot of us got into radio in the first place. I mean, I've been interested in radio since I was literally in first grade. So, you know, like seven or eight years. Um, (laughs) And uh, wait for laughter. Um, (laughs) No, but I've been interested in radio. I mean, since I was six or seven years old. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about it was this idea that you could, you could have a microphone and you could turn it on and you could ask questions of anybody in the world. And, you know, whether your world is Wauwatosa and the people around it, or your world is really the world 
everybody's got an interesting story to tell. And if you're curious and you ask good questions and you have a good time with it, it makes for compelling listening, whether it's on, you know, 300 radio stations around the country or it's on SoundCloud. If I weren't doing this for a, a living, I would, uh, I am sure, um, be pursuing a podcast just like yours. Yeah, well, we were hoping you are going to bring some of those interesting stories tonight, but maybe next time. Yeah, we'll try again. <laughs> yeah, we'll give it a <laughs> time for the <laughs> One of these times we're going to get some good stories. But anyway. So wait, gotta... before, before we head out, I want to just say uh, you did have a um, – what happened to the Pretzel Podcast? Yeah, I know. We did, we did. In fact, um, believe it or not, this is the, the second reference to the Pretzel Podcast I've had in the past week. And <laughs> somebody actually asked if I would uh, if I would consider resurrecting the Pretzel Podcast, um, which was co-hosted by a fellow Wauwatosan, Michelle Maternowski. And um, I, and all I can say is uh, I've been jonesing for a good pretzel out here. We are a little um, pretzel deprived in northern New York. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's high time uh, we have at least a one off episode. Honestly, in 30 years of radio, one of the most enjoyable things I got to do was uh, was two years of the pretzel podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again, Mitch, for showing, uh, for coming on our show. And uh, we'll be talking to you in about 11 months to talk about the next Tour de France preview podcast for 2022. If not before, we might get yep. number eight in there. Who knows? I'm around. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Uh, it's always a pleasure being on the show with you. All right, All right Mitch. Good talking to you. Thanks, Ian. Good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, let's talk again soon. All, All right. right. Sounds good. Right. Take care, Mitch. Yep. Good night. Good night. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast when we talk with lawyer Daniel Bruber. I'm Daniel Bruber. I'd like to thank you for having me on your podcast. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch Podcast. Spread the word.